What's up? What's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm your supporting tonight with Braden and Will. How's it going, lads? Man, I'm excited. We've got a lot to talk about this week, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. I don't even want to spoil all the jokes I have about this entire weekend of football in this like little beginning bit. So, so I feel great, and I'm ready to talk about everything because this week was ridiculous. That indeed was a fascinating weekend and Monday of games. We will get into all the details of what happened in every single game. But before that, Braden, what happened with all the betting? It was a really good week for us. Um, I'll give you a quick recap of what we do if, in case this is your first time uh, listening to us. Uh, so each week we get 100 virtual dollars to spend on all the games as we like. Uh, we, we talk about the lines, go through that, make our picks. And then on this show, we go ahead and uh, talk about our results and see who made the most money. Uh, so in this week, and this is very unfortunate that this is a third place week uh, for Sapoon, because Sapoon on a, a on $1,000 that we had to bet, Sapoon returned $1,788.54 for a uh, 78.85 ROI, which uh, most weeks that would put him in first or, or a very close second, uh, but unfortunately, I got him third this week. Uh, in second place, was with me with six games correct. I returned nineteen thirteen uh, for an ROI of ninety one point three percent. And in first place, with less games p- picked correctly than Sapoon and I, at five <laughs> is Will Webb returning two thousand thirty three dollars and fifty cents. For an ROI of 103.35%. Well done, Will. Take your victory lap real quick. Better than the best. Better than 100%. 103. That's what you get. Um, I got really, really lucky. But I think I've started... I think I know how to gamble now, guys. So I shouldn't finish last every time. So I'm really excited... I'm also really excited to talk about these matches because I may have won, but I want off the back of some nonsense and it's so great. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to talk about that. But before we get into the games, I kind of want to talk about uh, the Man City Leicester result real quick. So we all picked Leicester on the previous show. And I think we all kind of said, this is just about the odds. We're, we're taking a chance and seeing what happens in here. And I think we saw with this is that you know, sometimes when you see teams that are, you know, not perfect, like City looked against Wolves, you can really get a big payoff. Um, so I'd like to pat all of us on the back real quick for uh, for that result. And Damn. yeah, it was a good week. <laughs> I, I am just looking at that bet, and I guess $100 is going to make you a lot of fucking money on that. But... um. I, I do want to ask both of you this. What Did you think it was only, uh, let's throw this 50 to to $100 away with this line, or did you actually think that there's a chance that it might come true? Because we have talked about this a lot, and, you know, I don't want anybody, any of the you know, regular listeners to think we're just, like, making shit up uh, in order to be like, hey, this is the one time we got it correct. So, it, in my opinion, it's not $50 throwing away. It's a... It's a small bet that if you lose, it doesn't really negatively impact everything else that you do, right? So it's a if you have a thousand dollars, you bet fifty. That's a pretty small percentage of your pool of money to bet from. 
But if you if it wins, it pays off a significant amount. And Lester at plus eight fifty because that that's the real part is it's an amount that really paid you off if it won. And you know Lester were a competitive team last season. It, that line never felt right, and I I think we saw that and got paid off for it virtually, sadly. <laughs> Absolutely. And we will get into all the other big games with all the controversies that happen. But as Braden said, if you are a first time listener, please give don't forget to give us a subscribe and a five star rating so that it helps boost the podcast and gets us more and more listeners. Having said that, we will get into it right away. Brighton and Hove Albion took on Manchester United at home, a game that had an ending that nobody had ever seen. <laughs> a game that we all bet correctly at full time, only to find out that wasn't the real full time. It ended Manchester United 3, Brighton and Hove Albion 2, after 110, or 100 minutes of Premier League football being played into what was supposed to be only five minutes. So, Braden, I'm going to come to you first. How do you feel about that game? It, that was a nuts game to watch. I... I felt that Brighton were a little hard done by when you look at the result. Like, I think Brighton had a good system. They attacked, but I think it comes down to kind of the individual quality and Manchester United had it and, and Brighton didn't like, they just didn't finish off a lot of the really good chances they had at the end. Um, I've seen some people kind of in the post game point to things like XG. And I think, People are getting a little carried away there because I think it was a fairly close game from that perspective until United kind of decided that they're going to try to hold on to the to the lead that they had, um, which they ended up not being able to. But I think that Brighton were a little bit unlucky here, uh, but I, I don't necessarily know it's as bad. It's, it's as far off as some people are taking it. I'm going to be 120 percent honest. I watched the end of this match back on replay because I left the room. The match was over and I left the room and I came back to combustion. So after finding out that United won, I had things like I was prepared to say things and just I kind of had in my head. But having come back to that, all I can really say is that United really got away with one. And that's the kind of one you need to get away with if you want your season to kind of be all right. Brighton had so many chances and they have Brighton also have situational talent who should be scoring more and they just don't finish their chances. And I they do. I don't see United sticking in this that hard. I think Brighton played a decent game. They could play better. I think United played a not that great game and got bailed out at the very end. But as someone who hates United talking to someone who likes United, Sapoon, Sometimes you got to get those bailout games to keep any momentum you have going, I suppose. I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, we didn't really have any momentum, in my opinion, <laughs> after that 3-1 thrashing we had from uh, Crystal Palace a week ago. But overall, my outlook of this game was, I think what Oleg and Solskjaer said at the end of the game really summed it up, where Brighton had an offseason. They had four preseason games. On top of them, Graham Potter and Brighton are like one of the fittest teams in the Premier League, we're going to like kind of run you off the park. And that's essentially what happened. And I mean, if we look back at the Chelsea game against Brighton, it was a similar kind of result for Brighton where they played very well, but 
ended up conceding on like two absolutely blinding goals. And here Manchester United, I mean, Rashford's goal was brilliant. The Bruno pass was brilliant. But on top of that, it was a penalty. Like out of all the ones given this weekend, and we'll, we'll get into all the other ones given, <laughs> this one was a more, uh, like more of a clearer one in terms of where his hand was. And I mean, I, th- I personally think it's still very harsh given the distance the ball traveled. But at the same time, you cannot really have your hand in front of your face and be like, oh, yeah, that's not going to be handball. So a quick reaction on the handball, first from you, Britain, and then from Will. Did you guys think it was a dodgy or it was a fine call? So my concern was more about the time at, what it, at which it happened. Like, I, so far into extra time, I feel like maybe the match should have been called at that point. But once they decided to review it and that the game was going on there, it was a clear handball, I felt like. I... I don't feel there's any controversy there. I think we, you can maybe talk about the penalty was called off uh, for Brighton with VAR and have a little bit of discussion around that. But I also felt felt that was mostly the right call. I, I think VAR got it right as far as both penalty decisions, even if like maybe we shouldn't have even gotten to that point. This was the one game in which I thought both of the times that VAR was used was correct. That's a penalty. That's not a penalty in the first uh, occasion. So I have no qualms with it. To speak to Braden's point, the qualm I have is that, like, maybe the game should have been over already. But, again, it happened, and I I actually have no qualms with these calls. Like, they were the right ones. VAR did what it was supposed to do. This time... <laughs> I mean, uh, I will definitely uh, give into that. I do, I do think VAR did a very, very good job. And overall, I, I am very satisfied with the result. We will see, and hopefully as the teams get better, and especially Man United gets better, we will see the team, uh, you know, play better games. But definitely got bailed out on that one. Sorry, Braden. I still like you for a nice league run this year. And uh, hopefully the defeats haven't caused too much pain. I will give one last second, though. Brayden, I do agree that uh, maybe the game shouldn't have gone that far, but, like, it's banding at it, bro. Like, Fergie time. This, this was the, like, this was the most Howard Webb game of all time. Like, I was almost wondering if this was, like, a Howard Webb testimonial. I mean. <laughs> Cousin. It, it would have been absolutely brilliant. But moving along to the next game, a game that, was between two teams that were absolutely high-flying after their previous weekend's results. Crystal Palace hosting Everton Football Club. The Evertonians went on to top, on the top of the league after a win at Sellers Park. Crystal Palace looked decent, but Everton did look very, very good. This is where all the bullshit started. This is where we will start talking about a penalty in a game that I, I thought that was an exceptionally harsh call when it was given will coming to you first what were your thoughts you had bet big on crystal palace as well so what did you make of it i'm pissed as shit at this match uh i actually that's a lie everton looked the side that we they looked the side that we have been talking about like they look like a side who was going to make some noise who's going to cause trouble they have players they have talent they're, they're rocking, and I fucking hate it. Crystal Palace came back to earth a little bit, but I just want to earnestly say this out loud. I think that Crystal Palace is going to have a 
I said some shit about them on the first podcast. I'm going to take it back. Right now, they look a solid side, and they look to have transformed themselves into something of a team that cannot suck for five minutes. So I appreciate that. And the match was hell entertaining. To be blunt, VAR was wrong, and that's all I got. All right, Braden. So I'm going to follow up and say that uh, when we talked last week about taking the over because occasionally uh, you might have a bullshit penalty (laughs) with the way that uh, they've been calling handballs. I I mean, here it was. That was absolutely a bullshit penalty call, but that's just how we're calling it this year for most calls, it seems like. Not all, but most, which is the weirdest thing. Tough for Crystal Palace, but... I don't necessarily know the wrong team won. Everton look like they're really playing well so far, and I think you have to give them a lot of credit for that. Ancelotti really has them playing like a team that uh, is going to have their shit together and you know make a top six, make outside chance of a top four challenge. But I, I do think you that... Stop that. <laughs> I think it's very outside. And I also think that this is the easy part of the season. I I think as you get into January, it's a lot tougher, especially for what might be some slightly older legs. When you talk about James and Allen and some of the new guys that they brought in who, instead of having like a winter break type situation are going to have you play every two days in December. So I, I, I want to see where Everton go with that, but they're playing really well right now, and that shouldn't take anything away from what they're doing right now. I completely agree. And as far as um, looking into Everton Football Club, I think they are, as you said, in the easier part of the schedule. But more so just going forward, they will have only one game a week. And even like they don't have Europe to really consider. So I think that is still going to help them. And again, it's a team that finished their season early, didn't really have a lot to play for after that Merseyside derby loss um, early on, literally the first game after restart for them, I think. And I wouldn't say it's that outside a chance for the top four. I think given how uh, some of the traditional teams that are supposed to be in the top four are currently playing, I think they are definitely going to be in for a shout. Granted, again, it goes back to whether... They can make sure Hamas, Allen, um, Decore, Richarlison, and all of these guys stay fit or not. But I will say, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he deserves a shot for England in the upcoming weekends. That would be definitely something to keep an eye out on for if Gareth Southgate really has the balls to call, keep calling players who are actually in form. But... It was an entertaining game nonetheless for as far as I was concerned. I think Everton are really playing some good football and penalty. Well, I'm not going to blame VR. I'm going to blame the way that rule is written because that shit is going to really get out of hand if they do not <laughs> change the policies. But it's going to be amazing, in my opinion. Something that was exceptional, in my opinion, as well, was West Brom hosting Chelsea Football Club. What a game. West Brom absolutely dominating Chelsea. And not off of just like playing well, but there were some absolutely horrendous mistakes. Thiago Silva, in his first Premier League match as captain of Chelsea Football Club, 
giving a very nice tribute to the one and only Steven Gerrard by giving away that goal. Um, for those of you who didn't know, please go watch Steven Gerrard versus Chelsea. Um, for or the don't, or do don't. Know, that's fine. You don't need to know about that. That We can just leave that alone because that happened like several years ago. I'm 30 now. We can leave it alone. <laughs> hey, so you, that's, that's a very good age. Um, <laughs> a brilliant second half performance from Chelsea after spending 250 million. You would think it was those 250 million bucks players that came and bailed them out. No, it wasn't. It was three academy lads who everyone had been banging on to be given some more playing time. Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, and Callum Hudson-Odoi with some brilliant goals to make it 3-3. Exceptional stuff. One of the few games we won't be talking about in terms of a bad penalty. So, Will, what did you think about in this game? Uh, So, this is a problem that I think we all maybe have mentioned on the show, but one that we should probably talk about a little bit in depth. They have they had a squad last year that kind of went out and I won't say necessarily outperformed, but they did more than we thought they were going to do last year. And it was mostly young kids, mostly people who kind of like it was a very young team and they went out and did stuff that no one believed in and we all loved them. And then they were like, let's just throw money at the fucking wall, see how it works. I think they need to put more trust in the team that's already gelled together than putting trust in the players they've bought. I think there's there needs to be space for Tammy, for all these guys to play on that side. They'll gel, it'll be fine. It's just they haven't... I don't know what's going... I don't know... They need to start the younger players who they had last season and let these other guys grow into the team, and that's what I want. I'm going to let you unpack that, Braden, because I have a lot of feelings about what he just said. I mean, I so first of all, I taking a bunch of money and throwing it at a wall is absolutely the Chelsea way. So I don't. I, it, this doesn't surprise me. I'm not. Th- this is what they do. Like it's, you know, it's the Kevin De Bruyne's, Mo Salah's, all those guys who have been around Chelsea while they were younger, and maybe not up to the standard immediately at that time. Uh, they ended up getting sold and then coming back to the Premier League and being among the best players uh, in the league. That said, I, I don't want to harp on that too much. Uh, I do think it's interesting that, you know, it, it is the younger guys who drove this game for Chelsea. And I think that forces a discussion um, for Frank and some decisions to be made because you've kind of made the, a commitment to Werner early on like you could have not started him the first day and started Abraham and eased him in but I think once you kind of put him out there to start it gets a lot harder to then bench him and you know right now he hit the post a couple times missed a uh, missed a pretty decent chance uh, to hit the side netting uh, towards the end there and these aren't the reasons why you pay this much to bring in a big, a, a big name like uh, Timo Werner. And so as these situations starts to happen, more and more pressure gets lumped on them. And you have, it, it almost becomes a fee. Like you can always see the um, shadows of Murata, like just kind of slowly coming in to take, uh, to take Timo Werner on here. So I don't know. Like, I think you've got a lot of players that, they're just going to need some time to gel and 
like right now the right decision might be to play some of these younger players. A guy that I've been really impressed with is Reese James. Like I think he has come on and really uh, – at one point I thought he was the playmaker for uh, Chelsea, which you would be surprised when you look at the other names on there. But it, like a lot of the play was going through Reese James. It seems like most of that is going to crosses in the box, which kind of points to maybe having Giroud on there instead of some of the front guys. So I think they've got things to figure out. Like I don't I don't know really what the plan is for Chelsea when they put these players on the pitch. It seems to be a let's put a lot of talent on there and hope the talent just figures it out and wins. I agree with, to what Braden said. Not quite a lot to what uh Will said, I don't think anybody was loving Chelsea for what they did last year. And I will also say that we on this podcast were one of the very few positive people saying that there's a very good chance that Chelsea are going to finish top four because of their youth academy that they had. So um, I think that is something um, I would really like to say was well done by all three of us. Along with that, I think Chelsea Football Club went out and spent in in places they really did not need to. And I think this is what we have talked about as well. Like Kai Havertz and Mason Mount are very similar players in my opinion. And you're going to have to fit in Kante into the team. And then you're playing Kovacic as this like single pivot player. And like neither him nor Kante can really be the defensive like shield in front of a defense. Like yes, Kante is a very good player, but like he's more of a recover the ball and give it to somebody who can pass. Kovacic not as great and really got exploited in this game. Um, Viago Silva, as I've already said, like in that individual mistake cannot happen. My man still thought he was playing in Liga and they kind of forgot in England, you need uh, kind of different uh, levels to be playing when you're not playing against farmers week in and week out. On top of all of that, Reese James has had a couple of good games. I think this game was one of his poorer ones because Yes, offensively, he was good. But defensively, I thought the first one, he really needed to come back and help his defense out. And and the, was it the second or the third, whenever, um, whichever happened from the corner, he was the one who ended up playing the uh, guy onside. Well, if he had kept the line with the defense, would have been offsides. But I think this is a game which showed you perfectly how media builds narratives. I think... If this is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, if this is Mikel Arteta and a team gets absolutely, you know, demolished in the first half and even re- they come back to make it 3-3, the questions would be like, oh, what does Arsenal need to do? What does Man United need to do in order to get better? And like, is it the right man for the job and so on and so forth? And I really keep questioning Lampard and it still seems like I'm the only one doing so where he made some baffling decisions at... uh in the game against Liverpool. And again, this game, some baffling decisions to like when it's working, when it's three, two, when it's going right, why aren't, why are you changing it? Why bring on Giroud at that point when you're already like making the comeback and everything is going your way, you can actually, you might actually win the game if you keep playing it that way. So I think overall, there were a lot of questions for me that Frank Lampard still has to answer. And yes, the young kids are playing well. And Kai Havertz, for me, had one of his better games in the second half, kind of just helping the game instead of trying to uh, do something spectacular uh, every time he got the ball. But 
again, I don't know if Frank Lampard is going to be the man for the job. And if he's not, um, I think it's going to come down to the fact that he is essentially got enough talent uh, around him to keep bailing him out whenever it's needed. Because ultimately, like they are still in for Declan Rice. That's what Fabrizio Romano said. So that'll be another 50 to 80 million. So that's above 300 million for the summer. So I think there are big, big decisions to be made. And Chelsea does have a lot to figure out. Having said that, I had said uh, after the first two weeks that West Brom right there with Fulham are going to be the second team relegated. I still believe that Fulham are definitely going to get relegated. Will first you and then Braden quick yes or no. Do you think... West Brom are the second most likely team after Fulham to get relegated this year. Yeah, probably. Now, I think West Brom stay up. I think they've had a tough run of fixtures to start with, and I think that's made them look a little worse than maybe they actually are. But I think this game showed that they can play with some of the bigger teams, and they they do have some individual quality that I think can potentially keep them up with uh, Diagana. Pereira, like Pereira is a baller. Like that guy is so really, Pereira really needs good. to come to Man yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like we need a right winger. We he's left footed, bro. Just come through. We'll make you work. Because <laughs> uh, things are getting a little serious with uh, Sar out there from West. Well, West Ham. Oh, Watford. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sar. I should. How could you forget our Lord and Savior? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Guys. I was like, I should. I should never forget about who gave us that glorious evening. Anyway, um, I don't really have a lot to say about Chelsea. They take on Spurs in tomorrow uh, or Tuesday for whatever you guys are listening to it. I think it's going to get very, very interesting for Frank Lampard and the, to see what they really end up doing. The last game for Saturday, I know one comment that William Webb definitely wrote in there. Um, Burnley taking on Southampton, 1-0 Southampton. It's as glorious and as um, amazing as you would have thought this game was going to be. I couldn't really watch it after a certain point because, you know, I wasn't going to waste my Saturday afternoon with that. And Burnley, I'm sorry to say you guys got to do better, but this is what you expect from Sean Dyche. And um, Southampton still... Still waiting for what you guys were last season. And this is you're kind of like a shadow of your former self, Raiden. Yeah, I don't have a ton about this game specifically. I, I think that Burnley kind of do what Burnley does and they try to get they try to keep it close. They try to get a goal, get a draw, maybe a win if they keep things really tight at the back. Uh, but it, it wasn't it didn't work for them today and, and they ended up losing. Um, kind of more generally on Southampton, I've really been impressed by uh, Che Adams to start this season. I think he's a player who can maybe take some of the creative work off of Ward Prowse and be a nice uh, foil for Danny Ings and might like stealthily make them a, a little bit more dangerous in attack than they were last year, where it just kind of seemed like the ball somehow ended up at Danny Ings' feet and he scored. Um, I, I think that it might be a little more systematic, a little, a little better as a consistent basis from Southampton. Um, I, so I've been impressed there beyond that. I, I don't really have that much to talk about this game specifically. Pretty boring overall. I know everyone's waiting for me to come through and 
like light up the praises of Southampton, but this match was kind of drab, to be completely honest. Um, with that being said, I still have a lot of faith in the Southampton team. I'm glad they got the result. I think there's better days ahead, and I wrote it in the notes, so I got to say it out loud. I'm putting Danny Ings for at least 25 in all comps. Stop. Fuck with me if you think I'm Nope. Save it. Put it on air. Put it on wax. Save it. I'm saying it. That's right. Stand behind it. More than the Newcastle thing, but I stand behind this. <laughs> He's going to break his ankle tomorrow. I'm going to hate it, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, well. Um, that brings us to an end of the first segment of the podcast. We got plenty of games coming up. The Sheffield United Leeds game we said was a result never in doubt. Definitely wasn't in doubt, except for the time when Leeds forgot how the fuck to score. And Mourinho <laughs> masterclass, Leicester City masterclass, and definitely got to talk about what David Moyes pulled off playing some real life football manager. So we have all of that coming up for you in the second half of this podcast. See you there, guys. What's up, guys? We are back with the second segment of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, please give us a subscribe and share it with your friends, with your homies, share it with everybody. We would love to have some conversations. And the first one we're going to get into is Sheffield United against Leeds. Leeds were a team we were all, the three of us were very fucking confident that this was going to go Leeds' way. There's no way Sheffield United were going to do anything. Sheffield's out there pretty much like holding... By Harden being like, we're going to play with it for a little bit. And then leads finally, Patrick Bamford seems to be a better Premier League striker than he was a championship striker. Very, very good goal. Braden, what are your thoughts? I felt Sheffield were a little unlucky in this game. If you look at XG, if you just watch this game, I felt it was pretty even for the most part. Uh, But, you know... Sheffield didn't take their chances and kind of in the end, I feel like this is a, these one goal games, I think Sheffield did very well with last season and they got a lot of them uh, went their way or they either won a game or drew a game, which you didn't necessarily expect to. And I don't think they're getting that this year. So is that going to be a trend? Is that just kind of a one-off type thing? I, I'm not really sure, but it has me a little bit concerned that uh, Sheffield might be a Sheffield's a relegation candidate in my opinion. Like as we stand right now, like I think they're, I think they should be considered a possibility to get relegated. Uh, I, I'm. Because I had so much fun with them last season, I don't think I can say with my heart that I think Sheffield are a relegation candidate, but you saying that, it makes sense. And I just don't want to admit it because, again, we had so much fun with them last season, but this team does need to find a way to turn things around very quickly or it's going to get bad very quickly. I think that this is an important win for Leeds not because of who they played, but because of how they won it. I've, I think I've said on the podcast, and if I haven't, this is just how I feel in life. Occasionally, like teams who are very good don't always play well, but they can find a way to win. Leeds found a way to win this game late. I don't want to jump on that way too early and say that Leeds are good, but I say that this is a sign that this team is one you may want to watch a little bit more. 
I said appointment viewing on social media. I don't, well, this match is actually kind of good. So maybe it is appointment viewing. I think that leads are going to, I keep saying they're going to make noise. This proves it just a little bit more because snatching a game like that as late as they did, kind of indicative of what a good team can do. Very interesting thoughts. Well, very interesting indeed. Um, I actually don't feel very bad. I think Sheffield United were like the summer fling you have before the summer you go to college. And it was all fun. It was all great. But you knew it was going to come down to reality at some point. And this is the reality of Sheffield United. And they're kind of where everybody expected them to be last season. Uh, Don't... I think Sheffield United played a very, very good game. But again, these are games you have to win, especially against a newly promoted side. Relegation, I think, is still... I wouldn't put them as one of the favorites, but I'm I'm definitely kind of like how Everton is in like an outside chance for top four situation. I think they are in an uh, Sheffield United's in an outside chance to get relegated because um, I, I think it's very very intriguing to see how Chris Wilder kind of gets this team together. They are talking about a striker, and I was learning all sorts of things about the guy that they let go of uh, in order to get McCaldrick, who really hasn't panned out for them. Um, in terms of goal scoring. So I think it they definitely need some goal scorer. And I don't know if they are going to be able to get one this window. And that might just cost them and keep them close towards the bottom half. But again, I think jo- missing Johnny Egan definitely did not help either. As well as uh, Dean Henderson. I think it's a big miss for just the way they play. Ramsdale is a decent keeper. He and Dean Henderson. What's up, Braden? Yeah, I was going to say, not to get too much into transfer talk, I know that uh, Sheffield put in a bid for a a very highly rated uh, Balogun, a striker from Arsenal's Youth Academy. Um, So I I definitely think they're looking at that. I I think they put in a bid of three million pounds and Arsenal is trying to hold out for 15. Uh, So I think that'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, But I, I definitely think they're looking to improve up top. Absolutely. And I I will also say he is a kid that has been highly rated from, you know, various different UF Academy sites. So um, if he goes, this is a problem that Bournemouth started facing as well. They kind of start buying into the hype of these kids like Jordan Ibe from Liverpool, fucking Dominic Solanke from Liverpool ended up paying the price of them when none of them really pan out. So it is a path that Sheffield United have to be careful of uh, while going down in case things do not pan out for them. Having said that, Leeds United looks like a cracking fucking team, though. They are uh, finally a clean sheet, not uh, too many goals. I think that is what is going to please Bielsa a lot. And uh, I think Leeds, in terms of how they progress over the season, is going to be another story that uh, we will keep a very close eye on, whether you like Leeds or you hate Leeds like me. Um, you are definitely going to hear a lot about Leeds because they are going to play some really entertaining games and we will keep covering them for you. A game that was absolutely terrible, in my opinion, to watch, but ended up having an absolutely fireworks ending to it. Tottenham Hotspurs (laughs) against Newcastle United. I don't have words, but to see Mourinho walking back into the tunnel... Early before the season, uh, before the final whistle came, was hilarious. It 
kind of a war of words between him and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after Solskjaer kind of had a dig at him about how um, he had once measured goalposts and glad that Mourinho wasn't the op- opposition goalkeeper, uh, opposition coach to come and you know, demand that the referees go and inspect how big the goals were. And Mourinho was just like, well, for some teams, great things happen even after the game is supposed to end. And here we are sitting after a very wild 90 minutes, especially the plus six that happened at the very end, because it was kind of nice to see Meltdown Mourinho going in full swing. Will, I'm going to come to you first because your fucking notes, when you put down the money on Newcastle, said, come on, you refs. <laughs> so, yeah, the refs did. I mean, that, that is the harshest penalty I've seen given in a very long time. It is, I genuinely felt sad for Dyer. It is one of just the entire sequence of 30 minutes that happened after the match might be 30 of my favorite minutes of watching Premier League coverage. The meltdowns that happened after the penalty was awarded, which let's just go ahead and say, that's a terrible call. We're, I think we can all cop to it. It's just the worst. But everyone lost their minds. Both Robbies losing their minds. Mourinho post-match presser. The special box, man. Like, I just have to, like, I have to harp on this because I've never been so confused by a manager not wanting to acknowledge that he was pissed off about a very obvious thing to be pissed off about in my entire life. It was amazing. To the rest of the match, Tottenham looked good until they didn't, and Newcastle got really lucky. And that $70 bet is okay because someone did me a solid. So, again, the paycheck that is going to the refs, I hope you enjoy it. That's my entire first paycheck from my new job. You did the job, and we got that draw, and I got that money. Again, if you have not watched his post-match presser, you have to watch it because it doesn't make any sense at all. And it's just, I love Mourinho the most. Like, <laughs> resold on the guy. That was the best day of my entire life. <laughs> I made a comment to someone that I felt like I was concerned because we might be reaching peak Mourinho, and maybe he starts to... <laughs> Like, get something going at Spurs. This man finished a thought with, I now realize the difference between clubs with big history and others. I read that, and we're just like, some people are like, just inject this into my veins. I don't even want that. Like, put that on a slow drip, IV. I want that to be with me all week. Um... Uh, the, the meltdown was incredible. I, and, you know, it's never a penalty, right? That, that was a terrible call and just more of this bullshit rules. But am I, did I love that it happened to him and Tottenham? Of course. Yes, that was course, beautiful. So good. So good. But I, Newcastle stole a point and it was hilarious. I love this game. <laughs> I wish we had more to add, but it's just so funny. I mean, I, I kind of really felt bad, to be honest. Like, not because of how the game turned out. Like, yes, if it's a penalty, like, give it. Uh, if it's a dodgy call, it's a dodgy call. That is just a horrible call. <laughs> so bad. It's bad, but like, yeah. It, like, so you bad. cannot... What the fuck? Like, honestly, let, let's all, like, put all the rivalries aside for a second. Like, if that happens to Liverpool, I'd laugh for a second. But then after my laugh, I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with football? Because, like, if, if VAR, if 
referees can legitimately think that's a penalty, something has tremendously gone wrong in the game of football. And I think Steve Bruce in his post, uh, post-match conference was also very, very, um, you know, delightful about it that like, yes, it got, it went my way and I'll take the point, but like, that is not what the handball rule is supposed to be. And it's kind of making the game bullshit and it's down to the players. It's down to the coaches and everybody to get together with FA to change it. And it kind of reminds me of the fucking uh, handball rule they had last year, where it was like for the defensive side of it, where it was like, or actually it was the attacking side of it, where it was like, if it touches your hand at any part in the buildup of the play intentional or not, it's going to get canceled and still like spurs, where Lucas Mora is like rolling over and it touches his hand. It's like, oh, nope, cannot give that as a goal now. And that's kind of what you're seeing with the penalty rule. So I think that is what is going to be very, very important to uh, see going forward. But I would be, I would be very, very interested in seeing whether or not these two teams kind of get, or not just these two teams, but FA and like, you know, players and coaches, whether or not they can get together and, figure this out this season or are they going to keep the rule for the rest of the season which i think there's what 20 or 25 penalties in the first three weeks so i think that's going to be over 100 this year if this off the handball rule is applied like this on a very serious note here i i i understand jose's pain on that because it's just it's a ridiculous way to lose a match and if i'm a manager at this point in the premier league I'm saying everyone should take every shot about waist high and just see yep. if it it's, hits an arm on the way through because you might get it. Like I, it's just that's how bad this rule interpretation has gotten at this point. Like it's I'm, just I mean, that's what Crystal Palace did against Lindelof, right? Pretty much, yeah. So like yeah, you just take the shot there. And and I think growing up we used to debate like, oh, it touched him right in the hand, like it's right by his side. Should it be like? No, it shouldn't because that, yes, is it making somebody's body like unnaturally bigger? Yes, because, but like, what the fuck does unnaturally mean? Because how the fuck, where, where are their hands supposed to be? You cannot have them next to you. Where is Eric Dyer going to put his hand in that situation? That's yeah, the number he, one thing. Like, what is he supposed to do with his fucking arms? <laughs> so like, I'm like. Is, is he supposed to not have arms? That's what gets me so hot. Like, what? That's a natural body position if you're jumping in the air. If you've ever left your feet as a human, sometimes your arms go places. I'm, I know I was laughing at Jose's meltdown, and it's fine because it's so hilarious, but this, act, like, it actually made me mad because there's no way on God's green earth that that's, like, that's, a, like, come on. Like, I don't under, like, that's a terrible call, and you have to, like, if you don't know how the human body works, how do you make that call, and how do you stand by it? Like, Cause that's unnatural, but like, yeah, it's unnatural. He jumped in the air and got touched. Like, what the? F- I don't know how this calling that I get let on. <laughs> I let Jose's meltdown take over me. But this is a terrible call that cost Tottenham a game that they should have should have fucking won. I mean, I yeah, agree, I- but I wasn't angry about it. Uh, no, I love it. <laughs> and I wait till it happens to one of our teams. Something tremendous that happened after that was at the Etihad, Manchester City taking on Leicester, 1-0 Manchester City at one point, Riyad Mahrez, and it it looked like, you know, 
business as usual. Man City were going to show up and they were going to do their thing and they were going to win. But what happened was, I mean, I was kind of left dumbfounded five to the final score. And now Manchester City did not score five. It was Leicester City at Etihad scoring five and can't even blame not having fans it's not like manchester city really are used to playing with fans oh so you made the joke w- before i could yay <laughs> i was I waiting for to. it <laughs> i had to i mean this was an absolute beat down and it goes to show uh when no matter how much you spend no matter how much you want to do things uh when you don't have a preseason, when you have had a long season before that, it's going to come and take a toll on you. I mean, people are going to come and cry about like how Jesus and Aguero and all those guys were out. I'm like, bro, you guys say Kevin DeBron is supposed to be the best player in the world. What the fuck was he doing? Like, it was not a great game. The defense, like 250 million pound defenders are out there conceding penalties. And Jamie Vardy, that fucking goal, that back heel chip, I mean... I don't, that might be one of the classiest goals of this upcoming decade of football. And it's only the first, first year. So I feel very good about that goal. Anyway, I'm going to come to you, Brayden. We've talked about the ball fraud a lot. What do you think you got it wrong this time around? So I think that teams are starting to figure city out in the way that they play. Like, it's just when I was preparing for us to record tonight, I was thinking about a lot of the a lot of the results were City lost in the past few years, and it was a very lopsided result in that City would kind of dominate the game. They dominate XG. They dominate in every statistical category, and it just ended up with City being on a losing side or drawing or whatever that unexpected result was. And that's not what happened here, and it's not what's happened earlier Um when we talked about um, City going out in the Champions League or some of the results they had, like Chelsea and the Project Restart, uh, they just are getting beat. And I think that teams have kind of figured out how to go with them. And I think they really need to figure out how they're going to change up what they do because it all looks very stale. It all looks very kind of bland and I I don't know that there's almost like they there's an edge missing that that they don't have like they're kind of just some guys running out there when things are going well they're gonna beat teams when things aren't going well they don't really seem to have an answer I can't I can't disagree I you're right you're right this Manchester City team they've lost They've lost more than half a step. They've lost a lot of steps. This is not like the same team. And even going forward a little bit, they don't look as toothsome as they used to. They look kind of drab. Like, they still have some of the best players in attack, but they just don't look up to it. I could give two shits about City because the demise is great, and I'm going to revel in it because I'm an asshole. I would like to talk about Leicester, and I'd like to talk about Leicester because... I'm bringing back my random ass stats because there's two stats in this match that I love the most. Leicester are the first Premier League side in history to score three penalties in a single game. City, first side since Spurs in 2014 to concede three fouls leading to penalties in the same game. That's Spurs. Who, does, 
Who does Spurs do that against? Fucking City. The second stat, Jamie Vardy is the oldest Premier League hat-trick scorer since Teddy Sheringham in August 2003. Jamie Vardy is a year older than I am. Holy shit, I am old. I think this Leicester team has a lot of potential, and I really like, I really dig their midfield. I think they're going to be just fine. Fuck off, City. That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, both of them are named City at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, I think Leicester City are another one of the teams that are well organized and didn't have to, you know, play at once the season was over. They took the break after the Man United game. Like, essentially, when everybody else's season ended, had their break, and had preseason. And I'm telling you, these teams that have been on the cusp for a while with preseason and not having fixtures, I mean, we'll see how seriously they take Europa League when the games start. But until then, they are going to have that advantage, especially against bigger teams. And, well, to tell you, you felt old. I mean, I grew up watching uh, Rory Daylap's Long ass fucking throw at Stoke City, always make yeah, and then seeing his kid Nightmares. fucking play for Manchester City. Yeah, I'm so old. <laughs> I saw Delap come on, and I, uh, I yeah, it was it wasn't good for me. It brought back a lot of terrible memories. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am sure there were. I mean, it's kind of like how now everybody looks at Burnley for all the younger viewers uh, or younger listeners. The way everybody looks at Burnley, now imagine that, but like a hundred times worse is what Stoke City. God, Stoke! <laughs> and definitely do not want them back in the Premier League. Uh, having said that, as far as Manchester City go, though, it, it's something, again, about building narratives that like I think people overlook. I remember after that Brighton game, um, NBC basically going, and along with quite a few other... like. Uh, leading uh, media outlets in England basically being like is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer really the man for the job they have spent so much money and I'm just like okay we'll see how you cover Lampard no noise about that and then about Pep Guardiola they're like you know he needs to like uh, reinforce that defense I'm like bro he is about to spend 350 odd million on just defenders since he's been there and that defense is no better than the than what we saw like the first time he got there. John Stones is still terrible. Like maybe Ruben Diaz is good. He's spending a hundred million on just defenders this summer. And it, at one point, like I want people to basically be like, yo, he might just not know how to figure out a defense. Because that's what essentially people came to a conclusion about Wenger, that Wenger, for all his greatness in terms of going forward, could never figure out the defense. But even he didn't have the funds. I think if he had the funds, he would have figured this shit out before Pep Guardiola did. Because what City are doing right now is kind of fucking crazy. And they'll say, oh, we don't ruin games and we don't do X, Y, and Z. But I think this is going to be very, very sad um, in terms of how I believe uh, Manchester City are going to turn out this season. Because, again, their players do come back from injury, but that's at a time to recover, at a time to what happens after that. And if as as the games are going to start coming thick and fast, I don't know if City really end up challenging for the title that everyone had expected them to this season. So that was kind of my take from this game. But again, you never know after uh, international break, after some rest with the players and some maybe some trips to Barcelona, 
what can happen with this Manchester City or tranquilizers. <laughs> I mean, Wenger got to a Champions League final with Senderos and Abue. I take that, Pep. <laughs> I want to watch that Champions League final just to see how they perform. You don't need Spoiler to. Spoiler alert, not well. <laughs> I mean, there was a record in like the first like 10 minutes. Of yeah, the that kind of killed actually, it. I do kind of want to rewatch that. I forgot about that. But anyway, we're That's not going to waste your time appearance. talking about the <laughs> 2006 Champions League final. We will get into, though, the next game where David Moyes from home played football manager with better graphics. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant game. West Ham absolutely demolished Wolverhampton Wanderers 4-0. I turned it off at 3. Next thing I know, I'm getting alerted that it's 4. I was like, oh, damn. Good job on West Ham. On, I mean, I have been dunking on them the last two weeks after having given the performances that they did. Against Arsenal, they showed a gl- glimpses of being a decent team. And I think this one, everything just gelled. And again, another team that went far into the, champ- into the European competition, then didn't get a break as they would have liked. And again, a team that's generally been thin because they don't necessarily have the financial resources. Wolverhampton Wanderers struggling to begin this season. This is the third team outside of the two Manchester clubs that also suffered a defeat and within their first couple of games. Will, what did you make of it? Um, Just to start off, David Moyes, I take a lot of pot shots on the show and there's a lot of stuff talk speediest recovery i hope you're doing okay um with that being said i'm going to give him a big shout out because this man is at home with the thing that we're all talking about that's got the whole world under fire managing a football game and smacking wolves for four nil i still kind of think that david moyes might be the problem but this game went a little bit further to convince me that he may not be the issue especially because like Honestly, I just want to give him the most props. Homeboy managed a match with COVID-19 from his house and won against a team that's good. I've talked a lot of shit about David Moyes. I kind of got to give him one here. Like, just this entire match for me is just David Moyes did some shit that I could probably do myself, and I'm kind of agog. Wolves have come back to earth, and Sapoon, I didn't mention earlier, but I think you might be onto something. These teams who had these deep runs – are starting to look like they're tired. And Wolves is a team that's built on a lot of running and they look like they're kind of sloggy. So I think that this might be catching up to those teams. But again, for me, this is David Moyes kind of, this is David Moyes doing something I didn't think he was capable of. And I'm kind of impressed. So full tilt to the full tilt to the man and uh, get better soon. We love you. Despite what we say. I mean, I, I think it says a lot when the team performs much better when you're not there. Um, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not going to make any sweeping conclusions about Moyes from a, a single game. I think this is a really solid win for West Ham. I, I do want to point out that I think Sapoon correctly called out Wolves as possibly taking a step back as a team that is traditionally not – played uh, some of the smaller teams as as intensely as they play the bigger teams. And I think that uh, that combined with a short 
uh, offseason, I think really affected the outcome of this match. And I think this also highlights just how thin the margins are in the Premier League. Like, this is a Wolves team that was very, very close to having a Champions League spot last year. And a West Ham team that was very, very close to getting relegated last year. And because of the way that the season ended, the way you had preseason, all that sort of thing like this, whatever it is, a West Ham just stomped them from, from that, from the rip. And so I think that this just highlights how, how close these teams really are. I completely uh, agree with what Braden says. I think the teams are a lot closer in terms of um, the wouldn't say the talent, but on a match to match basis, anybody can beat anybody. That was what the Premier League became famous on. And that still is what holds true. But again, I think this tiredness is going to be a very interesting factor, especially because Wolves also have players who are essentially going to go for their national team and still play out there. Like same with Man United, same with Manchester City. So I think I don't see a relief not as bad as Tottenham because they have two fucking midweek games this week, which I, I have never heard of that before. But they play tomorrow, which is a Tuesday against Chelsea. Then they have a Europa League game on Thursday. And then they play Manchester United in the league on Sunday. So it, this is going to be a theme of how teams make sure players are fit. Human Song already lost to injuries. Premier League, the only league amongst the big five who are only going to allow three substitutions. Um, having said that, I think this is going to get even more entertaining as we move forward because uh, I genuinely think as far as teams go, West Ham is not that bad a team, but they are going to need a lot more. And especially with Declan Rice staying quite possibly, it could mean a lot more for them in terms of staying up and then maybe moving on from him, having a bigger plan the summer after. Whew. Having said that, somebody who is definitely going to have summer plans, not in the Premier League, but in the Championship, are Fulham, who got absolutely smacked by Aston Villa. I mean, I turn on the game and John McGinn, my boy, was absolutely balling, laying it off for all the uh, with for Jack Grealish early on, and then you see the floodgates just absolutely open. 3-0 for Aston Villa against Fulham at Craven Cottage. Sorry to say, man, Fulham are just fucking shit. Raiden. Yeah, it's really hard to disagree with that. I, and they've got to figure this out real quick. Um, they're playing Tim Ream at defense. Never a successful... Uh, you, the U.S. national team has tried that several times. It never works as much as you want to make Tim Ream a thing. It's not a thing. Um, and the only thing they have going forward is just to kind of cross it in to Mitrovic, who I, he tries to work onto a matchup with a fullback. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of successful. Like you'll see him get a lot of headers that just, you know, go just wide. And every once in a while, there'll be one or two that end up in the back of the net, but they've got to have something else. Like it, that's not going to work. That's not going to keep them up. That's just, it's, it's all of it is bad right now. I, I sent salvos earlier in the year about how I thought Scott Parker was going to be a decent manager. I would just like to go on record before anyone else hits me off about it. 
I'm wrong and it's okay to be wrong because I'm going to bring back a joke from last season. Fulham look like shit. They look like shit. They can't get anything going going forward. They barely know how to defend. Scott Parker and his awkwardly, awkwardly fitting collar on his fucking coat. He get out of here because I had faith in you guys and you let me down. Villa, on the other hand, a much improved performance. Jack Grealish, the the spoon that stirs the drink, was way more involved, including scoring a goal. He was there to help with the assists, setting up goals. Mings was in the goals. The people who you want to do well for Villa did well, and that's a good sign for them. That being said, it's less about them and more about how shitty Fulham are. And honestly, I'll miss their pretty stadium when they go back to the championship next year because it'll be completed and I'm going to miss it. So fuck it. Definitely, and I am glad you apologized for being wrong because I was definitely going to call you the fuck out on that. Because I'm wrong as shit, dude. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, see, here's the thing, though. If he was somewhat of a decent manager and like the things weren't just working, I, it would be one thing. But like the, Scott Parker has just been horrendous in these first couple of games, and obviously everyone's going to say like you're going to cut all the big teams slack. You should definitely cut the smaller teams slack too, but. The problem is uh, Fulham need to come out and show something and they haven't shown anything so far. And I think it, it'll only get tougher from them moving forward. Somebody who made some light work, according to a lot of some tough work that was handed to them. Liverpool football club victorious against Arsenal, Liverpool three, Arsenal one. I'm going to let you two go first before I give him my views. I'm going to go to you, Braden, first. Sad to say you lost the game. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of Arsenal fans over the past uh, kind of couple months when you get into Project Restart and that sort of thing, I, I think we were kind of not sure exactly how good we were because there's some some really good results in the Cup when you talk about um, beating Man City, beating Chelsea, beat Liverpool in the league. And I think... A, a lot of us were like, are we good? Was it, were these lucky results? Kind of that sort of thing. And I think that this game really kind of showed like just kind of what that gap is. I think there's a lot of issues that Arsenal have right now, uh, specifically in midfield and kind of all of the other problems revolve around our inability to control anything in midfield and just kind of a general lack of athleticism. And certainly against Liverpool, that gets you beat. Like, there's a lot of teams that you can kind of get away with that from. Liverpool's not one of them. If you are if you can't match up athletically, you're probably going to get beat by them. And I think that's uh, what you saw a lot of this game. Um, you know, you can go down. I think this game had one moment for Arsenal that could have changed the game uh, with Lagazette had a chance to make it 2-2 and didn't uh, well played by Allison came out and really closed down the angle and made it difficult. Like I said, probably still should have done better with that, but you know, it, it's one of those things that happens. Um, but yeah, it's Arsenal have a ways to go still. Um, but you know, there's still positive signs to take, but it, it's a pretty big gap. I, just to speak to Arsenal for a second, because y'all know what I'm about to talk about. Um, a lot of things I've seen online are comparing this Arsenal team kind of to that uh, the first Jurgen Klopp teams uh, of the new Liverpool. I can kind of, I get it. I totally get it because I, I earnestly 
think that this Arsenal team has a little bit more to give than this. I think this was probably not their best performance, and I'll get to why in a second. But for me, I see some upside in this Arsenal team that does kind of give me that early that early Klopp sort of vibe where you guys are going to have a bunch of great games that are very exciting. You're going to win some good ones and you might lose some ones that you don't think you can win. But at the end of the season, you will be proud of yourselves. And to be completely honest, you'll probably have the FA cup. So fuck it. Um, To speak to Liverpool. um, (laughs) It was a little sloppy, but that's a vintage sloppy performance because rock and roll football sometimes is a little fucking sloppy. That is a direct shout out to somebody, but Sapu knows what I'm talking about. It's fine. He didn't mean anything. Neither did Klopp. It's whatever. That that's that's Klopp's football in a nutshell. Andy Robertson making a mistake early to give up a goal to come back and fix that for himself. I think Andy Robertson is showing a whole. People already knew he was kind of class. I think he's showing that he is a different type of class this season, and I think that's something we should point out. Um, Allison does make some good saves that I've seen other keepers let those go. So I'm not going to sing his praises too much because it's going to sound like I'm blowing smoke up my own ass, but I love smoke up my own ass. So yeah, great job, Allison. I love those saves. This felt like a performance that I could hang my hat on and go Liverpool are arguably one of the best teams in England, if not the best. And I would love to gush about it more, but honestly, I kind of expected that sort of performance and that makes me jaded and an asshole and i'm so excited about being a jaded asshole all right uh, i'm <laughs> gonna give uh, i am kind of in somewhere in the middle from both of you because i absolutely did not think liverpool looked like one of the best teams in england i think it i don't understand after the first weekend where leeds showed that the way to go at Liverpool is to kind of punch them in the mouth instead of just sitting back and trying to hope that you're going to have a knockout blow. I was kind of disappointed in Arsenal coming out the way they did. Uh, I was kind of disappointed in the way Aubameyang, Willian, and Pepe were set up. And I personally think Arsenal is capable of better, but I think without having the midfield, it's going to be hard to really see the front line produce the way they would, I think, Arteta and everybody else is going to want to. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles deserves a lot of credit for this game. But at the end of the day, like it looked very sloppy from both sides. Uh, Andy Robertson, the first goal, like yes, he ended up getting a goal, but then again, it's a mistake from a fullback that leads to a goal on the other side and Arsenal just looked rattled for a second when they went down 2-1 and kind of just kept getting the pre- uh, pressure on them over and over again and i think o- over time it's it pays to have players who can come out and take you out of that pressure zone and Arsenal just did not have anybody to really take him out i think Sabayos really gave gave them that extra bit for 10 minutes when he'd first come on to make an impact on the game. And I mean, you saw the difference because ultimately Diogo Jota was a new sub coming in and he ended up scoring. Whereas when I look at on the other side, Ceballos handed um, Lacazette an absolute peach of a chance that, I mean, I think he has to score that. If you are the number nine for a team, 
um, of the caliber of Arsenal, I think who's trying to do something better. Cause I think if it, if it was Rashford, I'd say the same thing. If it was Martial, I'd say the same thing. If it was Mason Greenwood, I know he would have scored. So, uh, without, without going into that nonsense, I think, uh, Timo Werner would have hit the crossbar. Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly. You would have just been, you'd have just been shocked being like, Oh shit, there's so much space again. It's like, I'm in Germany again. Uh, I just don't know what to think of this Liverpool team because, yes, they won. And it kind of goes back to what I said uh, last week about Arsenal. Like, there are thin, there's a thin line between saying you didn't play well and you came out and you won and you're the champions. That's why you did that. Or, well, you know, you need to be playing better and putting teams away. And Liverpool kind of, for me, um, in this game, they, I have seen them absolutely destroy uh, teams. And I think they are also somewhat trying to get into the thick of things and get trying to get everyone fit and form um, before, I guess, after this upcoming, uh, excuse me, international break happens, they're going to go start going in full swing. So you're going to see a lot more from Liverpool after that. So having said all of that, uh, I mean, Liverpool look like the odds on favor to win the title again. I have to say that, but uh, this is going to be an interesting season, in my opinion, especially because of how um, jam-packed the schedule is going to be. And that's where I think Jota, more than Thiago and all the other names that have been uh, linked and the transfer that have taken place is going to play a big role in that title race, in my opinion. But I hope... I hope Everton wins it, man, to be honest. If if United ain't going to do it, which it does not look like they are, if a team in Merseyside got to win it, I would love to see fucking Everton do something because that would be a story for the ages. Like Leicester I will City. throw you out of a fucking window. I don't know which window, but I will find one. <laughs> hey, I mean, it was a cute little story when Leicester City did it. Why can't it be cute when Everton does it? That's all I'll say. No, but, uh, on the other I, side of the park. As, as far as Arsenal goes, I do think there is high hopes. If you guys do get R from uh, Lyon, I think this team looks kind of like United did early on when Bruno came on because he'll bring in a little bit of that getting you out of those tight spaces kind of a situation. And um, as far as Arteta goes, I'm still very, very impressed uh, overall with what he is currently doing. I mean, granted, I... These defensive lapses from both these teams kind of still just like baffle me more so from Liverpool than from Arsenal because Arsenal kind of gotten used to it, which I thought was a very good performance overall defensively um, from Arsenal. But like Liverpool, the Van Dijk mistake the first weekend, like Trent still not looked very good. You see Robertson making his mistakes. So I'm still wondering if they're like just trying to figure things out because I mean, maybe they're just like trying to go through the premier league season and be like, we can win with 85 points and try to win more trophies this time around. So maybe that's a thought that Jurgen Klopp has had. Having said that, I don't know why the fuck he got so offended by what Roy Keane said. Cause I don't know if you saw that Brayden, I'm very certain will saw that, um, essentially like in the post match analysis, Roy Keane said like, it had been a sloppy performance from, oh, it had been a great performance with some sloppy moments from Liverpool. Sloppy. Yeah. And I, uh, Klopp kind of just like absolutely blew up being like, oh, what game is he talking about? Like we weren't sloppy. We were 100% against a team that was so, they were 100% on form and this and that. I was just like, 
damn bro, man's talking up himself and fucking Arson at the same time to be like, fuck you, Roy Keane. So <laughs> I think I think those were that does tell me that something's going on at Liverpool. And maybe that's just a message to be like, hey, I will protect you. I'm gonna get you guys fired up. Just keep doing the job that you are doing. So that is all from me about this game. Do you guys have any final words for the weekend or this game or any other game in particular? May Josie's descent continue for a long time. Um, I Roy Keane won wrong. We did look sloppy at times. I think Klopp just did the best job that he could as dad being like, yeah, we didn't look sloppy. We look great. Uh, with that being said, quick side note, fire Dan Quinn. Just want to get that out there. <laughs> Welcome to the American Football Academy podcast. <laughs> we'll be starting that soon. It's fine. <laughs> no, we're not. I don't watch them. <laughs> All right. On that note, we shall see you later this week with our preview podcast with some more betting nuggets some more betting odds and some more overs and unders to come for sure. So that's it from Braden, Will, and Sapoon. We will see you on the other side. Cheers, guys. Roman Reigns, Tribal Chief. Give it like yeah. a five, four, three, two, one, and um, I'll I'll go back to yep. <laughs> Fuck off! <bro. laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I had to yawn right then, and it happened, and I tried to cover my mouth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just mute yourself, bro. So these are things that we are gonna have to start factoring into. Well, can you just mute the fucking mic, bro? You know, bring on the Pepe's and the Enkedias later on with Sabayos as a third sub this game. I was. I hate you, Will. I really do. That was literally me pouring something into a glass. I'm so sorry. <laughs> just fucking muted, bro. I thought I did. That's what was wrong. I'm so sorry. Like, I completely apologize. I thought I muted and I looked up and realized I didn't.